Let's have our Bibles ready in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, chapter 1. Nehemiah, chapter 1. It may be that one of the challenges that we have about prayer is that we don't value prayer sufficiently to make sufficient time for it. I mean serious time. It may be we are good at gratitude and petitions and confession of sin. But since we can get all that in in three minutes, we may not make time for extended periods of communication with God. Maybe we run out of things to ask for. We begin repeating ourselves and that becomes our habit of prayer. Now, understand, prayer isn't better just because the time is extended. But I raise this question for our consideration, believing that I need to spend more extended time in prayer, and perhaps some of you share that need. Especially if we are troubled about some situation we are going through here on earth, we want to ask God for help and blessing. And sometimes what we need to do is take an extended period of time to pour out our hearts to Him. I want us to listen to this great man pray in Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said... O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. 
But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my servant dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. My opinion of Nehemiah is very high at this point beginning right here in chapter 1 of this book bearing his name. First, this was during a time of crisis and emerging change for the Jewish people. And not every Jewish man stood up and served God during this time frame. It would have been easy from a worldly standpoint of comfort and convenience to just stay in the comfortable safe place to whatever extent comfort was found in Persia and maybe just wait until someone took the lead. See, it was near the end of the Jewish exile period. There were some Jewish people back in Jerusalem who had survived the exile, verse 2 says, but for them it was a struggle every day. And one problem was the wall of Jerusalem was broken down. The gates were not up. Verse 3 says, in Jerusalem there was great shame and trouble. <coughs> so Nehemiah is living in Persia in Susa, around 450 B.C. He had a good job in the palace. So think about this. If you are comfortable and your own world is pretty good at the time, you could just wait this whole thing out. And when everything is better, walls and gates and government and water supply and all that, then you hire a chariot driver and you arrange a very pleasant road trip. And you move back to Jerusalem when everything back there is fine. Well, such a nice little plan apparently never occurred to this man, Nehemiah. When he heard that his people were in crisis back in Jerusalem, he sat down and cried and fasted and prayed, he says continually. He didn't eat. What did he do? He prayed, and what a privilege that we have on this page we've read, the prayer of this good man. And we're going to take some time tonight to look at it. Number one, he knew who he was praying to. Verse 5, the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
You know, in our society, there is still talk about prayer, even today. You'll be watching a TV news program and some crisis will be brought into the breaking news feed. And the anchor person or reporter will say something like thoughts and prayers. Or maybe in your workplace, you'll be talking to someone and they have some religious knowledge. And when there's an illness or a death, there will be talk of prayer. In our society, there's still talk about prayer. How many people, however, who talk about prayer know God like Nehemiah? Nehemiah wasn't praying into thin air, no. This wasn't just something he felt socially obligated to talk about or write about. He knew who he was praying to. And I tell you, that makes a difference. If you don't really know who you're praying to, then what is the strength and value of the exercise? The words. Nehemiah knew God. And because he knew God, that's why he was so troubled about the struggle back in Jerusalem. See, it wasn't geography or politics or economics. It wasn't just infrastructure or something of that nature. He knew God had a nation and that Jerusalem was at the center of that nation's existence and was now in crisis and his brethren were in trouble. Yes, it was Nehemiah's knowledge of God that was foundational to his whole perspective in this book of Nehemiah. So he spoke to the God he had known all his life. And in addressing God, he shows respect and his mature knowledge of God's nature. He was convinced in his heart of hearts that God is great and awesome. And he took that conviction with him. And you see that conviction in these words. And that's exactly where we need to be. The more you know about God, the more effective your communication to him. And I'm not talking just about technical knowledge of the classic subjects of complex academic theology. I'm talking about the simple goodness and beauty of who God is. Nehemiah says he keeps covenant. Nehemiah says God is a God of steadfast love. God is responsive to those who love him and keep his commandments. And Nehemiah brings this knowledge of who God is into his communication with God. Would it be wise... Would it impart strength? Would it be pleasing to God to just utter a single prayer in which we just tell God how great He is? How we have been blessed and saved by His grace. There's no argument against those three-minute prayers. But in addition, it'll be good for each of us to slow down and maybe take the time to just 
praise God. And here in Nehemiah chapter 1, and all through the Psalms as well, these patient, slow prayers of praise to God just have such great value. Number two, Nehemiah knew very well that the situation among God's people back in Jerusalem wasn't God's fault. He knew the situation among the people. And he said in verse 7, we have acted very corruptly. Nehemiah never blamed God for the situation among the Jewish people. He knew that the state of affairs among God's people was caused by God's people's own corruption and disobedience to God. He offered, uh, offered no complaint to God. He was clear the people had sinned themselves into trouble. So I need to learn from that. Never speak to God and blame God for what people have done in their earthly situation. When we speak to God about the consequences of sin, we should always, without fail, refrain from any charge against God. There are cases in the Old Testament where men did this, but those examples are to warn us, not to teach us what to do. Nehemiah is to be commended that he knew who he was praying to, and he knew the reality of the situation at ground level in Jerusalem, and he knew about the situation among God's people and why they were in the trouble that they had experienced. And here's something else about Nehemiah. He knew the people belonged to God. Verse 10, Nehemiah said to God, they are your servants and your people. So Nehemiah's concern about the situation back in Jerusalem was not just that it was the old home place or that those were his people. At the depth of his interest was these were people who belonged to God. Application. When we pray, do we pray not just about our interest and our needs that are immediate to us. Do we pray for God's people? And not just people who are on a list of people we pray for, but for God's people generally. We pray about the weather and the country and perhaps the economy. Let us consider how valuable it is to pray for God's people. Not just God's people here, but God's people wherever they are. People who belong to God. You know, through all of our internet contacts, social media, email, and all of that, we're able to learn things about God's people all over the world. Recently, we've learned about our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. Our weather events in Oklahoma or North Texas or in Kansas. 
are Christians in China and third world countries. Social media and all of the communication that we have enables us to know about God's people all over the world. We need to pray for them. Brethren here who pray sometimes in public offer petitions for God's people everywhere. That's good. And that ought to be a part of our private prayers as well. Then let us also observe that he asked God to bless their efforts rebuilding Jerusalem, the walls, and getting the people back together united toward the covenant of God. Verse 11, give success to your servant today. Now that wasn't just about Nehemiah's personal success. He's going back to help God's people in Jerusalem. He's going to take the necessary people and supplies back home. He's going to do organizing. He's going to resist opposition. He's going to try to keep people motivated and focused. He knew very well that he couldn't do all this himself. He was not equipped by himself to accomplish all of these things that needed to be accomplished back in Jerusalem. So before he even gets permission to leave and go back, before the journey even begins and the work begins, he makes an appeal to God for help and strength. He says, O Lord, yet let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. This man being the king that Nehemiah served in Persia. Nehemiah takes every element of this situation, his permission to go back, his journey back, his work when he gets there, the future of God's people. He takes every component of the situation and he talks to God about it. And that's what we need to do. Once we determine there is something we need to do that is right, that is necessary. We need to take every part of that good work and speak to God about it and ask Him for His help. I should never think this way. I'm going to undertake this project. I can do this. And I'm equipped to do this. And I'm qualified. And I'll present it to God after I finish and get His blessing. No, the righteous approach is, before I even begin to work or, or plan a project, right when I determine there's something here that's the right thing to do, ask for God's guidance and His help. In the work of serving God and success in serving God, it never just rests on the servant. It always requires the help of the master. I remember a song about prayer that I heard first in my childhood and in my early years of preaching. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? 
In the name of Christ our Savior, did you sue for loving favor as a shield today? The chorus. Oh, how praying rests the weary. Prayer will change the night today. So when life gets dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. And I remember also on this subject, a gospel preacher by the name of Sewell Hall said, Much of our problem lies in the fact that we think of prayer as reading off a shopping list for God to fill for us. We think through our problems, determine what will be required to solve them, and then we come to God with a request for the things we've decided we need. Maybe we need to back up and bring God into the search for solutions. Talking out our problems with other people can be helpful to find a solution. Verbalizing our thoughts, explaining our situation, enumerating alternatives and analyzing them point by point to find weaknesses and find strengths. All of this helps us with the wise course. But there is nothing, no talking, no thinking, there is no one here on earth with greater wisdom than God. We need to tell him what's troubling us. We need to read his word and wait for his solutions. I commend to you this prayer of Nehemiah. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I said to God, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That's the prayer of Nehemiah. May we learn from it and perhaps even repeat some of these powerful phrases in Nehemiah chapter 1.
Let's be standing as we sing.